Hey, everybody. It is Wednesday, June 28th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, I hope you have a mask ready. Uh, Our understanding is that the smoke from Canada could be headed back into this region today. Well, yours truly spent hundreds of dollars on air purifiers a couple of weeks (laughs) ago. And so we're ready. We're ready in my house. Yeah. So we'll get to that later in this podcast. I know those of you in the Midwest have been sending in your pictures as you've been impacted by it. So we'll do a full recap on that. Uh, We should also make mention that uh, yesterday I spoke with Ian Bremmer of the Eurasia Group, a political scientist, Russia expert, to talk through the events of the weekend. We put that out to everybody. Uh, it's in your podcast feed. It actually should be just below this podcast in your podcast feed. Uh, really interesting insights, I thought. Interesting, Moshe, that you asked him why Putin decided to keep Prigozhin alive. Yeah, that's the big question coming out of the weekend, right? Like, for many lesser offenses, uh, people have uh, seen the end, right? Have been put in prison for life or been killed at the hands of Putin and people around him. In fact, we put a list together in yesterday's newsletter um, of all those people. And in this case, the way that Bremer explains it, you should listen to it in the full episode, is that for Putin... The last thing he wanted was war in the streets of Russia. He knew he could take Prigozhin, and it's no doubt that he would have finished off Prigozhin and the Wagner group. But he didn't want to take away from objective number one, which is in Ukraine. And as far as Putin's concerned, Prigozhin is just alive for now. Uh, Bremer's like, he's on borrowed time. I wouldn't be very confident about my uh, a long-term situation if I'm Prigozhin. And so I thought that was a really interesting insight. And another thing he talks about, Jill, uh, and again, I'll leave it to that pod, is that what we saw over the weekend in that rationale from Putin was a rational actor, right? He's thinking rationally. And the big concern for the past year and a half is Putin's talking about nuclear weapons and all this crazy stuff. And he is a rational actor. So the NATO and Western officials that Bremer is talking to are saying, actually, this whole situation makes us feel much better and actually means we might consider giving even bigger weapons to the Ukrainians because our big fear was bigger weapons will mean, uh, you know, a Russian nuclear counterstrike. Well, Putin appears to be pretty rational here. So let's just ante up here because, you know, it, it appears that Putin is willing to take a lot and not do something crazy. Moshe, I really hope uh, that he is right (laughs) on that. Jill, in this case, what we're talking about, though, are NATO and DOD officials. Let's hope they're right. They're the ones communicating that analysis to Ian. All right, now let's get to the headlines. A new law takes effect this week that provides protections for pregnant and postpartum women. We're going to take a look at the fine print. Just days before one of the busiest travel weekends of the year, and thousands of flights have been canceled. What is going on? Plus, the Supreme Court makes a big ruling when it comes to democracy and elections. The CDC issuing a warning about malaria in the United States. What is different about some new cases than previous ones? Don't call it a comeback. That thick smoke from the Canadian wildfires is back, but this time it's blanketing Chicago, where it's heading next. Costco taking a page from Netflix and cracking down on membership card sharing. Wheel of Fortune has a new host and the latest viral trend on TikTok. What in the world is a tomato girl summer? Mosh, I'm going to have you guess. (laughs) This is the one story I didn't read in on in the podcast, (laughs) 
And Moshe's on this day in history. As we're talking about the Supreme Court this week, Jill, we'll look back at a famous case of Muhammad Ali at the Supreme Court. Uh, Today is the 52nd anniversary of that decision. All right, let's start with a new federal law that is looking to stop pregnancy discrimination at work. This law is called the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act. It took effect this week. It requires covered employers to provide, quote, reasonable accommodations to a worker's known limitations related to pregnancy, childbirth, or related medical conditions, unless that accommodation will cause the employer, quote, an undue hardship. Now, more than 30 states and cities already have laws that provide accommodations for pregnant workers, but many do not. So this expands protections for millions of women. And it's been a long time coming. The legislation was first introduced in Congress in 2012. It's basically been reintroduced in every legislative session since. And finally, in December of 2022, it did pass with bipartisan support. Many credit that to just more awareness around postpartum depression, worsening maternal health outcomes, and just a lack of support for working mothers. Now to the fine print of this new law. It applies to employers with 15 or more employees, and that includes hourly workers. Not only are pregnant women protected, but it also includes women undergoing fertility treatment and those who are suffering from postpartum depression. Advocates for the law say that accommodations could mean anything from providing chairs to pregnant women who have to be on their feet all day to temporarily reassigning them to roles with lighter duties or less exposure to harmful toxins, for example, maybe special parking spots or flexible schedules to accommodate morning sickness. The term reasonable accommodations, it's broad enough so that it can be applied to a host of different jobs Again, as long as it does not place an undue hardship on the business. Jill, this is a big deal for a lot of American women. 23%, one in four mothers have considered leaving their jobs because of a lack of accommodations or fear of discrimination. That's according to a poll last year from the Bipartisan Policy Center. At least a third of the more than 2,000 pregnancy discrimination complaints that were dealt with last year by the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission were about companies that fail to accommodate pregnant workers. So CBS News describes the new law this way, that it patches a legal gap between the American with Disabilities Act and the Pregnancy Discrimination Act. The ADA prohibits employers from discriminating against employees with disabilities. It also requires accommodations. However, pregnancy is not considered a disability. And then you have the Pregnancy Discrimination Act, which has been around for several decades, which banned employers from discriminating on the basis of pregnancy when it comes to hiring and firing, but it required pregnant workers to be treated as well or equal to other workers. So this new law really kind of ups the ante there and, again, requires accommodations for pregnant women. And this part of it is big, too. Workers can actually tap into the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act to take unpaid time off after the birth of their child. It isn't paid leave, but at least their job would be protected. And the time off would be for the length of the recovery period. Most we've talked about it before on the podcast, the United States, one of just a handful of countries that does not require companies to provide paid time off. Yeah, we posted that map uh, a few months ago, Jill. Uh, It's the U.S., the Marshall Islands, Micronesia, Papua New Guinea, and Tonga. Uh, That's the company we're in when it comes to no federal paid leave for new mothers. Uh, Obviously, many states have it, many companies have it, but we don't have it on a federal level here. 
Uh, and it's certainly it's it's been coming up in every Congress. Uh, and we shall see whether we can address that gap soon. All right. Now on to a story that Mosh, I know, impacted you and Alex this week, as well as hundreds of thousands of Americans. Airlines have canceled about 7000 flights since Saturday in the United States. There have also been thousands of more delays. And now the CEO of United Airlines, he is pointing a finger at FAA staffing and inexperience, saying that that's at least partly to blame. Scott Kirby sent a letter to United employees on Monday blaming the FAA for travel disruptions this past weekend at Newark Airport. Newark is one of United's busiest hubs. He wrote, quote, the FAA reduced the arrival rates by 40 percent and the departure rates by 75 percent. It led to massive delays, cancellations, diversions, as well as crews and aircraft out of position. In response, the FAA basically acknowledged um, that they were part of the problem in a statement saying we'll always collaborate with anyone seriously willing to join us to solve a problem. The series of cancellations started on Sunday with weather on the East Coast and an FAA computer failure at a control center outside of Washington, D.C. The FAA said that it paused departures to D.C. airport Sunday because of repairs being made to that communication system. The pause impacted flights across the Northeast, contributing along with weather to almost 10,000 flights delayed and 1,400 canceled across the U.S. on Sunday alone. Yeah, that was the day actually we were looking to fly back uh, into the one of the most congested regions in the country, the New York area, Jill, between JFK, LaGuardia, uh, Newark that you mentioned. Uh, and we ended up making it in on Monday. At the time, Delta was telling us it was all weather, but there's clearly a larger issue here um, as we're seeing now day after day after day. And remember, some of you dealt with some of this stuff last summer when it was travel chaos and a massive amount of cancellations. Now, as far as the United back and forth uh, with the FAA, that's been going on for a while. September last year, the United CEO said the FAA was, quote, by far the number one cause of flight delays. At that time, the FAA actually shot back, Jill, and said, actually, airlines are the number one cause of delays, not us. But effectively, in the statement you just read, the FAA is acknowledging, yeah, we have some trouble here uh, and we would like some help. It comes as there's been a recent report put out by the Department of Transportation that found that the FAA continues to face major staffing shortages for air traffic controllers and has made limited efforts to ensure adequate staffing at critical air traffic control facilities. Jill, I heard from a family member of an air traffic controller who says that their family member uh, is still working six days a week. Morale is miserable. Uh, and that's reinforced here by the report, which found that 20 of 26 air traffic control facilities deemed critical in this country are staffed below the 85% threshold. The FAA's workforce has actually decreased by 10% over the last decade. And that was exacerbated by the pandemic when training was actually paused for a couple of years. And so this is obviously concerning for all of us uh, to hear uh, if you fly. The probe found that towers are not adequately staffed and controllers are working mandatory overtime and six-day work weeks right now to cover the shortage. One of the issues is that the FAA right now is not getting adequate funding from the government, from Congress. They are up with a reauthorization bill in September, and that would modernize agency equipment and include initiatives to boost hiring. It does have bipartisan support from Congress, so let's hope that gets passed quickly. But essentially, the FAA is like, listen, we're doing the best we can with the money that we have. We really need more funding from Congress. So you have the FAA issue, then you have weather, 
Then you have the pilot shortage. We've talked about this on the pod before, right? The airlines let go of a lot of pilots, did a lot of buyouts during COVID when you know it was the end of the world and they needed funding. Well, those pilots have retired and they're gone. And so they have a shortage of pilots. And then on top of that, everybody out there wants to travel this summer after a couple of years of being cooped in. So with massive amount of demand for travel, a lack of pilots, a lack of air traffic controllers, uh, and then add to that, by the way, chill this weekend, uh, new 5G towers going to an effect. And apparently not all the airlines have updated their equipment, which means you could see some planes grounded that haven't been updated. Uh, that includes a couple hundred planes in Delta's fleet. So is anything working at this point when it comes to air travel? Is anything going well? I think profits for the airlines are doing really well, Jill. Have you tried to buy a ticket lately? No, because I'm priced out. It's officially too expensive. <laughs> As you mentioned earlier, you spent it all on air filters for your home. <laughs> exactly. I've spent all my money on air purifiers. All right, time now for the speed read. It is a big week for the Supreme Court from the Associated Press. One of the major decisions of this court term came down on Tuesday This has been called one of the most important decisions for democracy this session. In a 6-3 decision, the court rejected the theory that state legislatures should have almost unlimited authority when it comes to election laws without interference from state courts, meaning no oversight whatsoever. The decision upheld a 2022 ruling by the North Carolina Supreme Court. The justices declined to embrace this legal theory that is called the independent state legislature doctrine. It's favored by some conservatives. Had that ruling gone the other way, the case could have had a really big impact on the 2024 presidential election. Like massive, gargantuan, Jill. Uh, If they had ruled the other way, it would have allowed every state in the country to make brand new election laws with no oversight from judges. You know, redistrict at your will, gerrymander how you want, create whatever laws you want to. That is why you might have heard out there on social media uh, and in articles uh, why there was so much attention to this case. It was called Moore v. Harper. We shared analysis on the Instagram account on Tuesday. And again, it would have removed any role for state courts uh, and state constitutions in regulating presidential and congressional elections. Essentially, if you think there's bad gerrymandering now, this would be gerrymandering times a thousand. Chief Justice John Roberts actually wrote the opinion for the majority here, which included uh, all three liberals, plus Roberts and uh, Kavanaugh and Barrett. So a wide spectrum of politics there. And Roberts wrote in the decision that the Constitution's elections clause does not insulate state legislatures from the ordinary exercise of state judicial review. Basically, we have checks and balances in this country, and that is the opinion of the court, and that is how we interpret the Constitution. So a lot of people applauding this decision. They were worried about it. We mentioned the decision was six to three. There were three dissenters, Clarence Thomas, Neil Gorsuch, and Sam Alito. Uh, Notably, uh, they all dissented uh, on the grounds that they believe this case was moot, that there had already been another decision from the state court. And they're like, we shouldn't even be hearing this. Clearly, the majority disagreed and wanted to just knock this out, being like, never bring this before our court again. And two of the dissenters, Thomas and Gorsuch, actually were like, let's entertain this for a little bit. And if you read through their dissent, I don't know how many of you did on your Tuesday afternoon, but I did. And they went into detail being like, here are scenarios in which we might entertain this theory. Nevertheless, the majority disagrees and the theory is out. Okay, so there are seven cases left, including some really big ones like affirmative action and Biden's student loan plan. The Supreme Court is not in session today, but is in session tomorrow. So that's when we can expect some of these decisions. 
From CBS News, the CDC is warning of the return of locally acquired cases of malaria, meaning that the infections were not linked to foreign travel and appear to have been transmitted by mosquitoes in the United States carrying the parasite. So far, there have been four locally acquired cases of malaria in Florida, that's in Sarasota County, and one in Texas within the last two months. There's no evidence suggesting that the cases in the two states are connected. Each year, about 2,000 cases of malaria are diagnosed in the U.S., but they are typically connected to people who have traveled outside of the country. So malaria was actually officially eradicated in the U.S. in 1970, more than 50 years ago. But the CDC says that small outbreaks of locally acquired mosquito-transmitted malaria do continue to occur once in a while. We actually haven't seen it in the U.S. since 2003, 20 years ago. That's when there were eight cases in Palm Beach County, Florida. A reminder here that malaria is caused by a parasite that commonly infects a certain type of mosquito. It can be fatal. The World Health Organization actually estimates the disease kills more than 600,000 people a year, but the illness can be treated and cured with prescription meds. Symptoms here include high fevers, shaking chills, a flu-like illness. You could also have nausea, vomiting. And this is noteworthy. While most people show symptoms that start 10 days to four weeks after infection, a person could feel ill as late as one year after infection. So it appears here, Jill, this is a, a rare situation, but still something people should be cautious about. From USA Today, weeks after wildfire smoke from fires burning in Canada blanketed much of the East Coast with hazy orange skies and unsafe air quality, Chicagoans woke up Tuesday to the worst air quality in the world. Thick smoke clogged the sky in Chicago early Tuesday with a gray haze limiting visibility, and a faint burning smell filled the air as residents commuted to work. Unhealthy levels of pollutants from the smoke spread across parts of the Great Lakes region surrounding Chicago, including most of Wisconsin and parts of Michigan, Illinois, Indiana, and Ohio. Yeah, we heard from people in Grand Rapids, people in Chicago, people across Wisconsin, uh, some of them complaining that they were feeling ill from the smoke. Uh, a reminder, as these wildfires continue in Canada, that anyone in a sensitive group, when these conditions uh, start to get worse, that includes young children, older adults, those with heart or lung disease, should stay indoors and refrain from any physical activity, and that everyone else should make a point of trying to limit the amount of time that they're outdoors. Three U.S. cities ranked in the top 10 cities with the worst air quality in the world Tuesday. That was Chicago, Minneapolis, Detroit, others on the list, Jakarta, Indonesia, and Delhi, India. Now, uh, good news for the Midwest, the smoky air and haze is expected to gradually diminish today. The meteorologists report that the wind off Lake Michigan will help push the smoke uh, in a southwest direction. Yeah, and apparently um, smoke is also heading back to the New York area. And New York Mayor Eric Adams, he wrote on Twitter on Tuesday reminding New Yorkers to take a mask if they leave home today. It sounds like Thursday could be bad as well. Yeah, so we'll see how bad it gets, Jill. People remember those orange skies over New York a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it remains to be seen how how bad it gets as these winds continue to shift. Some of our Canadian Mo News community have been asking for an update on what's happening up there. Oh, you mean they're not just interested in the smoke. They actually want to know what's happening with the fires. It sounds like a fair request. Right. They're like, <laughs> not only do we have smoke in Canada, like part of our country is on fire. Uh, what's happening with the fires? And so we checked in on the latest tally from the Canadian government. There are 490 active fires burning in Canada right now. Uh, two new fires started in just the last 24 hours. 
That now means there have been nearly 3,000 wildfires since the beginning of this year. The fires have scorched more than 19 million acres of land in Canada. That acreage now surpasses the amount of land burned in 1989 the entire year. That was the year that held the previous Canadian record. And unfortunately, we're only dealing right now with the east. The, the wildfire in the west part of Canada really will start to take off in the next couple of months, Jill. So it is a very tough season out there. And as winds shift, you know, you get a break here uh, south of the border, and then suddenly the wind shifts pretty quickly. And suddenly you have the situation that you had in Chicago yesterday and potentially in New York today and tomorrow. Most, you definitely know, though, where um, media outlets and most of the journalists live when you see the coverage. And it's just like orange skies in New York City. And meanwhile, like you said, in Canada, they're dealing with the smoke and the fire. Yeah, they're like, it's happening all the time. Would you like the daily update? Would you like a daily picture of the skyline where I live? Uh, And even the Chicagoans are like, you guys gave so much attention in New York. You know, like Chicago uh, is in a bad situation today. So as a born and raised Chicagoan, we hear you here at Mo News. Okay, from CNBC, Costco taking a page from Netflix's book. The retailer is cracking down on people sneaking into its clubs and trying to shop with other people's membership cards. Costco said it has always asked shoppers for their membership cards at the cash registers when they check out. Now it is also requesting to see cards with a photo at self-checkout registers. And to view a photo ID if a shopper's membership card has no picture. The company said in a statement, we don't feel it's right that non-members receive the same benefits and pricing as our members. Costco said it noticed more abuse of card sharing since it expanded self-checkout to more of its stores. (laughs) Well, that's your fault, Costco. (laughs) Maybe you shouldn't have done self-checkout. Well, that's a staffing thing, right? Self-checkout, they're trying to be more efficient, etc. Now, Costco argues that they offer a pretty good deal, Jill. $60 a year for an annual membership, $120 a year if you get that higher tier executive membership plan. And the bulk of its earnings come from those membership fees, which help cover company expenses and keep prices low. So if you want to buy razor blades for the year at a really good deal, Jill, it might be time to ante up, as far as Costco is concerned, for another membership Stores like Costco have attracted a whole bunch of new customers, especially during the pandemic as people were stocking up on toilet paper, hand sanitizer, etc. A Sam's Club, which is owned by Walmart, has also seen a similar lift in their business. Some entertainment news from Variety. Ryan Seacrest confirmed in an Instagram post Tuesday that he will be taking over Wheel of Fortune from longtime host Pat Sajak. Earlier this month, Sajak announced his plans to retire from hosting the game show after 41 seasons. Seacrest wrote, quote, I am truly humbled to be stepping into the footsteps of the legendary Pat Sajak. I look forward to learning everything I can from you during this transition. Sajak will no longer be the face of Wheel of Fortune, which he has steered since its 1981 debut. But Sony confirms that he'll continue a partnership with the program as a consultant. So, In the days since Sajak announced his retirement, reports were surfacing that Seacrest was up for the job. Also reportedly interested was Whoopi Goldberg. She even offered her services on The View, uh, but the job will go to Seacrest, who does he, is there anything this man doesn't do? I feel like he's got his radio show. He's got all these hosting gigs. uh, But now, of course, he'll be alongside Vanna White. And there was a case to be made for Vanna White, who's been on the letter board for nearly 40 years herself. Uh, when Sajak underwent emergency surgery a couple years ago, she filled in as host. Though, Jill, I was told by somebody in the know that Vanna didn't actually want the hosting gig, that she's very happy uh, handling the letter board duties. 
Sources tell Mo News. Okay. Sources close to Wheel of Fortune tell us that Vanna White was like, I'm cool on the letter board. Thanks. Uh, that person actually also explained to me that it actually, while it looks easy as a viewer, hosting Wheel of Fortune, these hosting gigs are very, very challenging um, and require you know a certain skill set and certain uh, ability. Frankly, I have to admit, Jill, I probably haven't watched a full episode of Wheel of Fortune since, I don't know, uh, high school. So I feel like I need to make a point of watching a show as uh, Sage X says goodbye here. Uh, we should note Seacrest uh, recently was hosting live with Kelly and Ryan for a few years, left the show earlier this year. Uh, but of course, you know, has a full slate. He's got American Idol. He's got On Air with Ryan Seacrest. He's got American Top 40. He's got the New Year's Rock and Eve show that he does. Uh, you know, he's over on uh, morning radio on LA Kiss FM. So according to Variety, this will now make his sixth job. So, Mosh, this is nothing against Ryan Seacrest because I think he is awesome at his job, at all of his jobs. <laughs> but I personally, when I saw that news, my thinking was just like, is there nobody else out there that can host this show? Because it just feels like more of the same. I I'm curious what kind of reaction you got on the Instagram account. There's a lot of comments. Um, and honestly, it's fairly, some of them are fairly entertaining. Jill, you know, some people asking the same question we all did, which is, was he running out of jobs to do? Then you had somebody say, I'd rather see a jar of mayonnaise host. And somebody then replied to them. That's how I would describe Ryan Seacrest. So, I, you know, there's some Ryan Seacrest haters out there. But then there's a whole bunch of people that were like, I think he's going to do a great job. I'm so excited. This will make me watch. But then you have somebody else saying worst news of the year to date. First of all, I'm not going <laughs> to use your name on the podcast. You can see her in the comments. But a woman literally said worst news of the year. <laughs> Has she not been following the news this year? War in Ukraine, <laughs> cancer drug shortage. Right. Uh, let's let's not remind folks of all the negative headlines out there. We tend to you know do a couple negative stories every day. But just a reminder, let's put everything to context. Ryan Seacrest hosting Wheel of Fortune, regardless of how you feel, is probably not the worst news of the year. Okay, now to the latest TikTok style trend from People Magazine. Say hello to Tomato Girl Summer. The newest fashion craze on TikTok isn't entirely about dressing up like the seasonal fruit, although lots of red is involved and plenty of tomato print clothing is welcome. So, Mosh, before we get to it, any guesses what a Tomato Girl Summer is all about? Jill, I want to say it should have to do with like being in tomato season because tomatoes are delicious. I'm a big fan. And we just had some amazing ones actually in South Carolina. But I'm going to guess here that it has nothing to do with tomatoes themselves. Correct. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so this is apparently about embracing the vibes of a chill European summer. I guess when you think tomatoes, you might think Italy. <laughs> I'm thinking that's the connection. Okay. So this trend is all about embodying the romantic, slow-paced living. Think breezy walks on the coast somewhere in Europe, strolls through the farmer's market, eating pasta in cafes, afternoon swims in the ocean, the list goes on. And there is a whole uh, aesthetic that goes with it. A lot of linen clothing, big patterns, maybe fruit on your clothing. Jill, I had just learned about the coastal grandmother look. So now I'll have to be on the lookout for Tomato Girl Summer. Apparently the category now has 208 million views on TikTok and is rising. It has grown so big that Airbnb foresees an uptick in travel to cities on the Italian coast, including Amalfi, Florence, and Sorrento. Though, with all due respect to People Magazine, I think people traveling to Italy is something more than Tomato Girl Summer. You can also <laughs> give credit to White Lotus, which was in Sicily, and I've seen 
uh, uh, more than enough people visiting Sicily this summer and uh, taking pictures of the of the hotel that serves as the backdrop for White Lotus. So you're not buying it, Mosh. No, I'm not, not buying Tomato Girl Summer. I'm not discounting Tomato Girl Summer. I am fully aboard Tomato Girl Summer. I'm saying that People Magazine's assertion that they'll see an uptick of travel to Italy due to Tomato Girl Summer, I'm questioning. I'm questioning that causation. But listen, if I've learned anything in the past year, it's not to doubt the power of TikTok. I was going to say, who can afford tickets to Europe now? Jill, if you're listening to our earlier story, first your plane has to take off, then you have to get to Europe. Uh, but, but looking at the ticket prices lately, uh, once I get there, I'm, I'm probably going to have to look back at the hostels I stayed at when I was backpacking uh, after college through Europe, see if those hostels will run. Though I keep hearing from people that prices in Europe are like double or quadruple a couple of years ago because the demand is so insane, especially in Italy. I want to bring back Long Island Girl Summer. Hashtag Long Island Girl Summer. Jill starting it. Look out. <laughs> All right, now time for On This Day in History. We begin in 1914. You learn about this in world history class. Archduke Franz Ferdinand, assassinated by Serbian nationalists in Bosnia. The assassination triggers World War I, then known as the Great War. Of course, World War II would happen, which would then make it be World War I. Uh, world War I would go on for several years, but that assassination on this day in 1914 touches off a bunch of declarations of war. All right, a bit of Supreme Court history news today as we continue to track the decisions of this term. On this day, June 28, 1971, the Supreme Court unanimously overturned former heavyweight boxing champs Muhammad Ali's conviction for draft evasion. Jill, this is covered in Bob Woodward's book, The Brethren. Uh, they go inside the court's decision here because apparently in the spring of 71, they actually had voted internally. The, the Supreme Court will take votes around a table before they write a decision. They'd initially voted five to three in favor of sending Ali to prison. In that decision, the court was going to decide that Ali was not a conscientious objector to the war and that he should serve a five-year prison term. But uh, according to the book, there was a certain Supreme Court clerk that helped convince the justices, certain justices, uh, to rethink their decision. And ultimately, just a couple months later, you had an 8-0 unanimous decision in favor of Ali. All right. On this day in history, in 2007, the American bald eagle was removed from the endangered species list. Thanks to conservationists, America's national bird has recovered from near extinction. And we'll end here with a bit of music. But for this one, I'm going to go to 1846, Jill. A happy 100. <laughs> it's very old school. That, that's seriously the, the real oldies. The real oldies. So unfortunately, <laughs> I don't have any audio to play for anyone today. But today, the saxophone turns 177 years old. It was patented today by a Belgian man who was living in Paris named Adolf Sax. His idea was to create an instrument that combined the best qualities of a woodwind with the best qualities of a brass instrument. So he was working on this in his Paris workshop. It was initially crafted from wood, and he would eventually go on to file 14 patents for an instrument he would name after himself. Adolf Sachs would invent the saxophone. It is a great name for an instrument. I'm glad that was his name. <laughs> Jill, are you working on a Jillophone or a Wagner phone <laughs> in your workshop? Wagner has been ruined, okay, after this weekend especially. But actually, based on the latest headlines from Russia, Jill, it appears Putin is dissolving the Wagner group, so you'll be able to have your last name back. All right, we're back. Wagners, we're back. Um, all right, Mosh, that is a wrap for us. We want to thank everyone for listening to the Mo News Podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow. 
And a reminder that we have that extra podcast episode on all things Russia in the queue for you just below this episode. I feel like you just wanted to say the queue, Mo. (laughs) 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 An excuse. Uh, The queue. It's in the queue. We have many episodes in the queue. And that includes our latest in the queue, uh, my interview with Ian Bremmer, going deep into what happened over the weekend, how to interpret it. Honestly, listen to the episode. You'll hear Ian's analysis and then bring that to your next conversation. And the people around you will say, wow, how did you get so smart? And you can say, I listened to the Mo News podcast. I feel like we've got a new catchphrase. Jill, somebody was telling me earlier this year that our Instagram feed and podcasts have made them a great middle at dinners. This is a term you may have seen in (laughs) Curb Your Enthusiasm, et cetera, where like if you're a good middle, you can make conversation with everybody and they feel like based on listening to our podcast every day, they're a great dinner middle and that, you know, they can talk at length about any topics and people find them very interesting. Moshe, I think that that's a great compliment. We'll work on our catchphrase, making great middles every day here on the Mo News Podcast. (laughs) All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.